We don't have the leadership in Washington right now that seeks to bring everyone together here in this country and certainly not globally. But all across this country, climate mayors, those of us uh, working with the Sierra Club and so many other groups, we are united in our effort to bring people together and make sure people understand that the Paris Climate Accords, Kyoto, we're still in. Columbia, South Carolina is the only city in that state to commit to 100% renewable energy, but it has an advantage. Its mayor, Stephen Benjamin, is co-chair of Sierra Club's National Mayors for 100% Clean Energy campaign. In other words, he's all in on addressing climate change with clean energy. I'm John Farrell, director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is our special Voices of 100 series focused on local leaders and their pursuit of 100% renewable energy. It's all part of Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. We're delighted to have Mayor Stephen Benjamin join us for the program. Stephen, welcome to Local Energy Rules. So happy to join you. Thank you for having me. You bet. You know, I just want to start, you know, you have been out front on renewable energy, as I mentioned in the introduction, helping co-chair the Sierra Club's Mayors for 100% campaign. What is it that makes 100% renewable energy so important? And why has Columbia made a commitment to 100% renewable energy? Well, I'm, uh, I love being the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. I'm a third term mayor. I am a husband, a child of God, and I'm a father. And raising two beautiful young girls in the world in which we live right now, it really helps you gain perspective that we are indeed stewards of this incredible earth that God's given us for them. And it's wonderful to have young voices, 14 and 12, informing my worldview every day that, Daddy, you're, um, you're protecting this earth for us. It's inspired me to get active not only in pursuing a, a just a thoughtful and smart clean energy strategy that means great jobs here in the Midlands, but also just wanting to show some leadership for similarly situated communities all across the South, where sometimes it, it's tough for um, thoughtful progressive policies to break through. We've decided we wanted to be a model. Uh, so we've been pushing here locally because of those reasons. So, you know, a few cities that have made 100% commitments do own their own electric utility, which makes this process of meeting a commitment to 100% a lot simpler, or at least more simple. Columbia is one of those that doesn't. And according to the Federal Energy Information Administration, electric utilities in South Carolina sold just 6% renewable energy in 2018. So I'm kind of curious, how have they reacted to Columbia's commitment? You know, have they expressed support for it, offered to help in any way? Well, we, you know, as as I'm sure you know, South Carolina has had an interesting and tortured recent history with our investor-owned utilities. Our largest South Carolina-based IOU recently imploded and has been acquired now by Dominion Energy. That presents new opportunities. You know, historically, we've had some real challenges at the state capitol working with the IOUs and, and pushing for some very aggressive clean energy goals. You know, primarily we focused on on uh, on trying to uh, really push for uh, an aggressive and rapid deployment of solar energy across the state, but we found some challenges there. I suspect now, based on the conversations we've had with Dominion, that will change significantly, and we hope and pray that's the case. Yeah, I should mention, when you talk about some of those tortured recent history, there is a really remarkable article, well, a series of articles, really, by reporters at the Post and Courier covering some of those issues about that buyout and uh, 
and a nuclear plant that didn't turn out the way folks expected. We don't need to go into it too much here, but just for our listeners who are wondering about some of that history, there's uh, really excellent coverage by your newspaper there about it. Post and Curry did a fantastic job uh, covering the, the issue. It's unfortunate. The ratepayers all across our state, not just our largest investor-owned utility, South Carolina-based investor-owned utility, but also our, our state-owned utility, Santa Cooper, uh, and the electric cooperatives that buy their power, have been saddled with uh, billions of dollars worth of a non-performing asset. It's a major challenge that hopefully um, some, some thoughtful policymaking will allow us to kind of work our way through it. If the same amount of energy had been devoted to, to making sure that we, we met our clean energy goals, we could have uh, put a few hundred thousand more people back to work in, in South Carolina. So uh, we'll see if we, if we uh, take this opportunity to, to make some smart decisions going forward. Last year on this podcast, we were talking with folks in Atlanta who have also made a 100% renewable energy commitment. And one of the elements of their commitment was this desire to generate energy locally, like within the city of Atlanta. Does your vision for Columbia include renewable energy produced locally? We do have a desire to try and produce as much power locally as we can. We have the benefit because of the history of our city, a uh, form that where the Broad and Saluda Rivers meet the form of the Congaree, of having still a city-owned, probably the second oldest hydroelectric power plant in the country. It was, um, as irony would have it, damaged significantly in the storms of October 2015, um, Hurricane Joaquin. If, in fact, we're able to get that back up and running, it should be able to produce a minimum of, of five megawatts of power for the city to use. Uh, we're also in the process of deploying a, a massive solar farm that would give us the opportunity to meet the needs of our largest energy user at the city, our, our wastewater treatment plant down off of I-77. So while we might not own a large utility like, like some other cities around the country might have, we're going to be able to put a dent in our power usage and, and hopefully reduce our carbon footprint, our contribution to it here in Columbia. So, you know, in other cities that have made these commitments, I'm thinking of like Georgetown, Texas, or Pueblo, Colorado, that we've spoken with on this podcast. Cost has been a big factor in the decision. And the good news is for a lot of those cities, renewable energy is generally projected to lower energy costs. Have you found that like with the solar project, for example, that the city and electric customers in Columbia are likely to save money in this pursuit of 100% renewable energy? Oh, absolutely. And not only have we seen the savings, I mean, it's so much more important in the age in which we live right now. You know, we um, we live in a world where there's significant income volatility, and if we're able to help people reduce their power bills by deploying solar panels on their rooftops and help them understand the larger goal of of helping reduce everything from instances of asthma to sea level rise, it's amazing. We've worked with programs like Solarize SC, where we've installed enough solar panels on the homes and businesses across the city that generates over 8.2 million kilowatt hours of electricity over the next 25 years. And that, that has the effect of removing greenhouse gases of about 13 million car miles and the carbon dioxide equivalent of 6.1 million pounds of coal being burned. These are significant improvements to not only people's personal bottom line, and it helps them pay for the other things that matter in life, but also helps with our overall health all across the city. Do you have a sense from some of these projects, whether it's the solar on the rooftops, the, the solar for the wastewater treatment plant, like what percentage of the city's 
energy might come from renewables in the next decade. Do you have that kind of plotted out at all? Or is that take one thing at a time, get a big chunk here? How is that process working? We're currently working on, on a proposal actually with the Sierra Club and really thankful. We have an incredible Sierra Club chapter here, vibrant uh, leadership statewide. Some people might be surprised to know that we have incredible, active, dedicated environmentalists all across South Carolina helping lead the charge. But we spent some time just in the past couple of weeks having a discussion with them on how we can work to very concisely quantify the improvements over the next few years. It's important that not only do we state that we're doing these things as a matter of principle, but, but to be able to show the people exactly these are the strides that we're making. So data matters, you know. Some folks uh, love the Deming quote, you know, in God we trust, everyone else bring me data. We believe in, in, in data here. It's allowed us to do our jobs here very effectively. We believe in being great stewards of public assets. We've, we finished seven of the last nine years with a budget surplus. We've not raised taxes in Colombia in a decade. We really believe in being able to show people that not only good fiscal stewardship matters, but if you if you can show good fiscal stewardship and the data backs you up, that you can actually do good and do well at the same time. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our Voices of 100 interview with Columbia, South Carolina Mayor Stephen Benjamin with a discussion of how to help low-income residents how cities can take advantage of low-cost borrowing to advance their goals, and his advice for other Southern mayors. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. Sierra Club and others that have involved in helping cities set these goals have also talked about how how we get 100% renewable energy to benefit anyone. And I was curious, when we talked to folks in Pueblo, Colorado, and in Atlanta, there was specific mention of looking at helping low-income folks or communities of color have access to going solar or other strategy to cut their energy bills. Are there ways specifically that Columbia is focused on either racial or economic equity as part of this goal? Well, you know, most of our focus has really been around weatherizing homes. You know, really, some folks, the, their power bills are, they dwarf their rent payments or mortgage payments in, in some of our communities where homes may not have been built well or have deteriorated over years. We've used some of our city general fund dollars and some of our community development block grant fund dollars in very creative ways that have uh, put a few million dollars actually into uh, one program, a maintenance assistance program, and then another program called the PEAR, P-E-A-R program. The first program focused on homeowners, the second one on landlords that sought to help people weatherize their homes and also deliver um, solar panels as well. 
just focused on people spending less of their very finite income on their energy bills. We saw some success there. We put a couple million dollars into that program, and I, I expect we'll do more of that over time. You know, the uh, the focus on communities of color, and and sometimes uh, depending on where you are in in the, in the country, that you'll see some very clear socioeconomic lines that parallel race. It's important that we be very um, laser-like in our focus on uh, on, uh, on attacking those uh, those shortcomings in our community. We have to make sure that we're building cities for all people. If we don't do that, then we we lose what makes cities special. I'm a mayor. I'm a former president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, but I, I tell people I'm a lifetime president of the Mayor's Mutual Admiration Society. I do believe that that the role of the mayor, the role of city leaders, is making sure that that we are indeed cities for all people, that we don't become these incredibly gerrymandered communities of very specific interests and that we make sure that we speak to the needs of all of our citizens. And that requires a, a great degree of intentionality. We've been able to see that with some very specific programs. But now we just need to have the dedication to send more resources to those programs and watch them grow. So I really liked this quote that you had in a story about Columbia's commitment a couple of years ago that you live in this F-150 community. In other words, <laughs> you know, it's not a typical liberal city, not a, not a liberal state. Does that perspective give you any particular advice that you might have for mayors of other cities in conservative states, either about approaching this idea of setting a goal for 100% renewable energy, or even like in the implementation phase, how that might be different than, say, a city like Chicago or Minneapolis, where Democrats are the overwhelming favorite, politically speaking. Do you have advice for those communities about how they might approach this differently? No, I, I just encourage people to dialogue with your citizens, to focus on the issues that are most important to them. Right now, I mean, thank goodness for, for most people who are thinking and who care, we realize that we are having a significant adverse impact on public health, on the health of um, cities and the world in, in which we live, and that thoughtful communities that really just grab the bull by the horns and decide that they're going to lead will not only see improved public health, but you'll see inc increased uh, economic opportunity. That You'll see the hundreds of thousands of new jobs and clean energy make themselves available with good policymaking. You'll see significant economic investment and job creation, that if you're going to uh, potentially look at deploying uh, additional capital resources, that the ability to access the capital markets is more favorable now than it has been in generations, uh, the lowest cost of debt if you're going to uh, issue bonds, maybe to help meet those goals, that the time is right, and that you lead by, by speaking to people's values. You lead by showing them that you're always going to be a good steward of their money and resources. I, I can't speak enough about fiscal stewardship. It is core to who we are here in the South, and I've learned that if you take care of people's money, they give you a lot of latitude to be downright creative in how you deliver good services to them, and, and that's been kind of core to who we are and, and why not only in clean energy, but in a number of other areas, I won't, I won't digress, but thoughtful regulations uh, and, and rules around guns and gun ownership or investments in the, in the arts that usually serve as a, as, a, as a lightning rod, maybe in Congress, we're able to do those things here locally because we're good stewards of people's money and we think big. We speak to building a community that everyone wants to live in, and we've been able to find some, um, some unanimity of purpose as a result of it. 
I really appreciate that response. And you've mentioned fiscal stewardship a few times. And I just want to follow up with a kind of a specific question about the bonds and the low cost of borrowing. I'm a reader of Paul Krugman's column in the New York Times, and he talks about this all the time. And other other kind of prominent economists are saying like, hey, this is a great time for governments to borrow money, to invest in communities, invest in infrastructure, invest in things that will improve the economy because borrowing is so cheap. I'm just curious, are any of the projects that you're working on around renewable energy things where the city is bonding for them right now? Or do you have specific plans around that? I think that could be really informative to cities in terms of how they approach this. You know, um, I'm glad you asked that question. But even more so on, on the mitigation side, we issued uh, just this past December the very first standalone stormwater bond in the country uh, that was certified as a green bond by the Climate Bond Initiative. Not a large one, $38, $39 million issue, but part of a larger commitment that approaches almost $100 million that seeks to mitigate using green infrastructure all across the city, the effects of flooding in Columbia, South Carolina, that complements our overall commitment to spend about a, about a billion dollars in water and, and sewer and, and uh, stormwater infrastructure all across the city that helps us with conservation. America's greatest challenge right now is a lack of, of, of investment in good, clean water infrastructure. If you make the right infrastructure, of course, it significantly reduces your energy uses, usage as well. We're spending about a billion dollars in that space over uh, a decade or so. We'll continue uh, to do that. But the ability to get really, really inexpensive debt right now and to invest it in very thoughtful and creative ways like green infrastructure is something that I would strongly encourage everyone to look at. Again, looking at the fact that every billion dollars you spend also creates about 15,000 jobs as well. So using it as a generator to put a whole lot of folks back to work who may also be outside of the American economic mainstream, who because of decisions they made early in life may be not employed. It's a wonderful opportunity to address some of those issues of equity and, and race that we spoke about earlier as well. It's just a winner all around. So we just discussed at our last council meeting some of the major improvements we did in our Martin Luther King Jr. Park area that, that not only is a, is a major green infrastructure program that's going to help with flooding in one of our villages that's flooded since for the last 100 years, but it's also beautiful and it's put people back to work. It really can work really well if folks just think big about the possibilities. And again, you're never going to find debt this cheap at all. So, uh, and, I, and I say that not just uh, relying heavily on the, on, on the capital markets, but we've also gotten three upgrades from Standard & Poor's and Moody's over the last several years. We've gotten the Government Finance Officers Association Award of Excellence in Financial Reporting five years in a row. We've been great stewards of taxpayer and ratepayer dollars because we've been deliberate, we've been, we've been very intentional, and we've articulated this broader goal. This investment in green infrastructure, almost $100 million, passed our city council unanimously. And not very few major issues passed our council unanimously. This did, and we're very proud of it. I think that's a great story and might already qualify as an answer to this next question in some ways for what other cities are looking to do. But is there something that you've maybe read recently or an experience that you've had that inspires you to keep doing this hard work of pursuing clean energy, of addressing climate change, and of doing it in a way, as you've mentioned, that is responsible to the citizens of your city? Well, we um, obviously, this is the time of year where storms come our way and we're watching the severity of storms become stronger and stronger. 
And it's particularly looking back to October of, of 2015, actually, it was my wife's birthday, and recognizing that in the greatest natural disaster to hit our our city in its history, we lost 19 precious lives. We saw billions of dollars worth of damage all across the state when literally 12 trillion gallons of water hit the Carolinas. Really, the ability and the opportunity to to lead this community back and watch the goodness of people, the very best of people come together was something I will cherish my entire life to understand that and then realize that there were so many things that we could do as a community to prevent events like that from happening and wanting to make the investments on the front end that recognizes that we are a part of a much larger world, interconnected and interdependent. That's really all the, the inspiration I need. My children inspire me every day. They are, they are complete environmentalists. They are smart and they're engaged and they read and consume information and they make sure that they see something that, that I have in, in hand as we go about our policymaking. But I would just encourage each and every one of us to realize that we don't have the leadership in Washington right now that seeks to bring everyone together here in this country and certainly not globally, but all across this country, climate mayors, those of us uh, working with the Sierra Club and so many other groups, we are united in our effort to bring people together and make sure people understand that the Paris Climate Accords, Kyoto, we're still in. We're still in and we're going to continue pushing to make sure that at least here in, in the greatest and most powerful democratic nation in the history of the world that we're doing our part. I want people to be encouraged and inspired that we're all still working. Well, Mayor Benjamin, thank you for those words of wisdom. Thank you for your public service. And thank you so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% podcast series with three-term mayor Stephen Benjamin of Columbia, South Carolina. To learn about other cities pursuing 100% renewable energy, check out our 12 additional Voices of 100% interviews, including leaders in Madison, Wisconsin, and Cleveland, Ohio, or even Abita Springs, Louisiana. Also on the website of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, you can find the entire list of 100% cities on our Community Power Map and click through an interactive Community Power Toolkit for stories on how cities have advanced toward their goal. Tune back in to Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening. <laughs>